You are listening to Hit Play, Not Pause, a feisty menopause podcast for active, performance-minded women. I am your host, Celine Yeager. Each week, I bring you advice from athletes, scientists, researchers, and other experts to help you feel and perform your best, no matter what your hormones are doing. This show is a production of Live Feisty Media. Hello, strong, feisty women. Menopause is hell. It also made me a better climber. That was the title of a feature article written in Outside Magazine by Jeannie Wall, who is a legendary athlete and outdoors woman. She has also run the rim to rim to rim of the Grand Canyon twice, was the women's champion of the Birkbeiner International Nordic Race, and has climbed Mount Fitzroy, Denali, and numerous peaks around the world, just to name a very few of her feats. Today, her primary sport is climbing. And she's experiencing the menopausal transition through that sport. And she says that this hormonal transition has offered her an opportunity to better understand herself and what she still wants from her sport. This feature was hands down the best piece I've read from the perspective of a menopausal athlete. So we dig into all of it and go deep. We address topics of fear, anxiety, rage, hot flashes, night sweats, fatigue, and the power, yes, the power of invisibility. I loved this conversation so, so much. So speaking of conversations and continuing this, I do invite you to check out the ones she's having over at Broad Beta, which is a space that she has started with some partners to openly share women's experiences of adventures in the wild from what she says, the ordinary to the heroic. And they just bring you raw stories, technical tips, all, all the outdoor life through the prism of women in this part of our lives. And, uh, you know, as she says, the women, their featured broads behind Broad Beta are climbers, backcountry skiers, and outdoor adventurers of all kinds. We aim to inspire and inform each other through our stories. I encourage you to check that out. You can find it at broadbeta.com and on Instagram. Okay, before we get to it, reminder, I have those podcast guides for you. I took our three most popular episodes from last year, Breaking Down the Science with Dr. Stacey Sims, Weighty Matters with Dietitian Diana Reed, and Estrogen Matters with Drs. Avram Blooming and Carol Tavris. And I boiled them down into easy to use guide sheets that include the background on each guest, an overview of the information presented on that podcast, and clearly written action steps along with links to references. Go and get them right now. Just go to feistymenopause.com slash podcast guide, and you can download them. I hear from so many people that they listen to the show multiple times and they wish they had notes. So took three episodes and put it together. Go to feistymenopause.com slash podcast guide to download them. Also, quick reminder as usual, you can find us at Feisty Menopause on Instagram and Facebook. We have our private ever-growing Hit Play Not Pause Facebook group. Come on in, join the conversations. And if you have ideas for the show, you can always hit me up at my email at hitplaynotpause at lifeisty.com. Thank you as always for the hearts, the reviews, the five-star ratings. Again, there's 
big things planned for the show and for feisty menopause in general. And all of your support is making it possible. I appreciate you. Okay, enough of me. Let's have a few words about our awesome sponsors and get on with the show. Like many of you, I try to eat well, train well, take the supplements I need, and track my recovery, sleep, and progress. So imagine my surprise when I found out I had elevated blood sugar, high cortisol, out-of-whack lipids, and was borderline anemic. Yeah, all while I was racing well and feeling actually pretty great. Turns out, all of my training stress was taking a hidden toll. How did I find out? Inside Tracker. Inside Tracker is a service that analyzes your blood, DNA, lifestyle, and fitness trackers to provide you a personalized, science-based, trackable action plan on how to live, age, and perform better. Inside Tracker is simpler, cheaper, and more convenient than traditional blood tests, and their blood tests also include biomarkers that are key to performance that you don't get from traditional blood tests like ferritin and vitamin D. My favorite part? They don't just give you data, they provide you with nutrition and lifestyle tips to take action. And I've taken those actions myself and have been improving those markers and ultimately my health. So for a limited time, my friends at Inside Tracker are offering my listeners 25% off their entire store. So go to insidetracker.com slash menopause to take advantage of that offer. Again, it's insidetracker.com slash Feisty menopause, I can tell you, it works. As listeners of this show know, we talk about some pretty uncomfortable topics. So I am stoked to have a new sponsor on board, Bonafide, who is helping women find relief from a very uncomfortable topic, vaginal dryness. As estrogen declines, those delicate tissues can suffer making everything from riding a bike to having sex uncomfortable, if not outright painful. Bonafide is devoted to helping women find solutions to symptoms like this that are related to the menopausal transition. One product that I can tell you works like a charm is Reverie. It's an easy to use vaginal insert that rejuvenates vaginal tissue and replenishes your body's moisture so you get relief from itching and burning and also greater overall comfort and improved intimacy. A few of my guests have recommended it. I have tried it. It works. Bonafide also has a host of other products, including a new probiotic supplement that is formulated to promote a healthy vaginal microbiome. You can give Bonafide products a try today. There are no hormones and no prescription is required. You just get quick, real relief. To get 20% off your first purchase when you subscribe to any product, go to hellobonafide.com and use the promo code Hit play, all caps, all one word. That's hellobonafide.com, B-O-N-A-F-I-D-E. And the code is hit play, all caps, all one word, for 20% off at checkout. And I'll also put a clickable link in the show notes. Check it out today. Jeannie, I am actually so incredibly stoked to have you on the show. Uh, you know, I read your piece in Outside and it was hands down, is hands down, the best piece I have read from the perspective of a woman 
going through the menopause transition, who is also an athlete, you know, and there are a lot of us who just don't hear those stories enough. And I read that and I was just like, I have to have you on the show. So I DM'd you, I slid into your DMs and you actually responded, which I wasn't sure was going to happen. And I'm very, I'm very grateful that you, that you said that you would share yourself with our, with our audience today. Thanks. No, I'm, I'm really excited to be here, Celine. And, uh, can't believe I never saw your podcast before, but um, tapping into them now and there's a wealth of information and and it's fun to, to be able to think about sharing this with a lot of women out there who are going through the same thing. And that's what inspired me to write it um, yeah. was a lot was a lack of women who I knew who were going through it. <laughs> uh, but uh, but yeah, I have five older sisters, so I had some sense of some of the things that uh, I was headed for. So that was helpful. Yeah, we had the other climbers we've had on are Nancy uh, Fagan and uh, Maggie Odette. They they were on the show and they I were a lot of fun. Yes, yeah, they were great. They were a lot of fun. So let's talk a bit. You, you just mentioned that you have five older sisters. Uh, I, I want to get into because you're you're kind of a storied athlete in a number of disciplines. So so let's just set the stage there. You were one of 11 kids. Did I read that right? Are you the yes. youngest of 11 children? Yes. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, a bit of a wild ride. Um, what is that like? Do you all fit in the much, same house? Like whenever I hear that, I'm just like, right. what is that like? And lots of bunk beds, lots of kids yeah. in one room. Um, mainly pretty much chaos. I, I always describe it as sort of, it was survival of the fittest. It was, uh, we, yeah, when I was growing up, I mean, being the youngest, I was lucky, but my, my older sisters will tell you that they grew up sewing their own clothes and changing my diapers and <laughs> keeping so my mom from going insane. You were in Montana. Uh, you grew up in Montana. No, no, I grew up oh. in Madison, Wisconsin. So. Oh, okay. Okay. Yep. Okay. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was crazy. I had five older brothers, five older sisters. In some ways we were like two families because, you know, my older siblings left by the time I was, right. I was sort of late grade school. Um and, uh, and you would think a lot of my athleticism comes from my older brothers in a classic sense as a Gen X um, mm-hmm. woman, but uh, actually it was one of my older sisters who got me into a lot of, of things like triathlons and, and running and things. So um, a little different take, but it was, it, was, it, was a, it was fun to grow up in a big family, but it was also challenging because there was not a lot of attention. Being yeah. the youngest, my, my sibs will tell you I got the most, but um, mainly I just was sort of a feral kid who ran out the door in the morning. And my mom always said that she just hoped I'd come back for dinner in the evening. So she didn't <laughs> have to go looking for me, but, um, I spent all my time outside in a woods nearby or a lake that was close by and just, you know, ran around, which I am grateful for now. Yeah, that's, that's great. So how did you, did you have any perception of that time of like gender roles in sport growing up or did yeah, I mean, I think to a degree, I, you know, reading about our generation, Gen X anyway, it's super interesting because we're sort of the non-generation, right? There's, <laughs> they're, they're, we're between the boomers and the, you know. They always and, forget us, it's fine. <laughs> right, and we're not a big group um, yeah. post-baby boomers. So I didn't, I basically just knew what I knew, which was that I had a neighborhood full of boys and we went out and did scrap football and baseball and anything, you know, ran around on our bikes. And that Mm -hmm. was just the way things were. I remember the first girl moved into the neighborhood and I was like, Oh, Whoa, what's this? You know? (laughs) And it turned out she became my best friend, but, um, and another one down the, down the road, but uh, you know, you just spent a lot of time with guys and, and 
if you're a fairly adept kid at sports, you just played with them and didn't, I didn't think about it that much um, yeah. until, yeah. you know, I got into school and, and thankfully title nine, I was able to play a bunch of teen sports when I was in grade school, which I was fortunate because my older siblings didn't have that. Yeah. That's so, so interesting. Yeah. When did you get into skiing? Cause your early so career dad, seems like it was very endurance oriented, like Nordic. Yeah. Randonne well, I did all the team sports through high, through grade school and high school. Like I played basketball and I played t-ball baseball right. tennis for four years in high school and um and then and, and then my dad uh my sister and my dad got into national ski patrol which is volunteer at a little rinky dink ski area um outside of madison and that's how i got into skiing so my my dad was able to get you know free passes for the family and i started um alpine skiing and that's also how i learned to climb they had a summer thing for families with the ski patrol because one of the better midwest uh rock climbing areas is called devil's lake and it was right next to the ski area and about 45 minutes from our house so um so as a kid i went out on this adventure you know with the families and learned to, to climb as well but the nordic thing came later I, I basically went to work in a ski shop when i was 15 and uh in madison during during high school or in college i worked the whole time for ski and climbing shops um and so I got into Nordic just purely because my coworkers were, were starting to cross country ski. I mean, as a kid, we, you know, right. kicked and glided around on our little waxless skis and stuff. My family was definitely into being outside. So. So when does climbing come into the picture and when do you move to Montana? A lot later. So climbing came in. Yeah. Uh, the ski patrol had this summer outing to go teach every, everyone to climb. And I was probably, I don't know, 12 or 13, but mm-hmm. I didn't take to it. It was, uh, I definitely had like a little bit of fear of heights and fear of falling. So oh, interesting. You know, it scared me as a kid. Um, we didn't have rock gyms then or anything else to get into it in a more contained and, you know, secure right. environment. Um, right. So, and I had a ton of energy. So I, I just, I didn't start really dabbling in it till later in high school when I was working for a climbing shop, um, went out locally and top roped some things and really liked it. But I just, uh, I think I had so much energy and it was also just a way to dispel all of my own stress and, you know, to be out on a long run and long bike ride or anything right. else I could, I could do. And, uh, so I would, it was funny. I would climb and then I'd be like, okay, now I got to go for a 40 mile bike ride. <laughs> I totally like, that, understand that. I, I, I very... how to push myself in climbing at that time yeah. to where I actually felt like, Whoa, I'm exhausted. Interesting. Um, yeah, I never had yeah. any mentors or teachers in that regard. So, so I'd always combine it. And, and when you do that, you, you know, like anything, you're never going to get good Yeah, at, at, at all of those things. If you're trying to do them all in one day. But now it, that is your primary sport. At some point it becomes your primary sport. Is that correct? Or yeah. I mean, okay. now it's my main passion, but literally that took me until, uh, you know, and I, and I've done it for a long time at some level I've Alpine climb, rock climbed, um, all of it since I was in college, but at kind of a complementary level to whatever racing I was doing. And, uh, and so it wasn't until really I was done. I Nordic raced forever, finished um, Ronda A racing after Nordic and blew out my knee at age 40 and went oh. on to have <laughs> a knee and three shoulder surgeries. Oh, wow. <laughs> so my first uh, years of my forties were spent. Uh, yeah. At a lot of time at Stedman clinic. Um, and then I was sort of done racing, you know, and, and that's somehow then climbing really turned on for me. And I think I learned how to push myself enough where I was like, whoa, this is actually 
really satisfying. And I feel lucky because as a woman, I think the strength building, as you've talked about, is so important as we go into this phase. And climbing has been the best thing in the world for me. I think if I had just kept racing or kept doing only endurance sports, I would be, I mean, my body would fall apart (laughs) and I would be, I would be trashed. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. And we're, I mean, I, I, I didn't know about the shoulder surgeries and stuff like that. That had to have been, cause I mean, having had some shoulder injuries, like getting that mobility to climb and everything like that had to have been a bit of a process too, through your forties. Right. Or was that, did you heal pretty well from that? I mean, I did heal well, thankfully, sort of, I mean, I re blew them out. <laughs> I guess I didn't heal that well. Oh. I, didn't, I didn't learn my lesson very quickly. Uh, sort of story of my life. But I think when I hit that, when I blew out my knee at 40, that was the first really big orthopedic surgery. And it was a big powder season. And I, I did it skiing and I was, I was devastated. Right. And uh, my T- PT friends were just like, Oh, I think they thought I was just a total nightmare. Cause you know, they see it all the time. And, and of course, after you go through it once and you realize you heal and you can get back at it, mm-hmm. um, it's a lot easier to, to, to deal with it after that. So I, I sort of learned how to deal with surgery and recovery. And in some ways I got stronger because I was so disciplined Hmm. and I didn't overtrain. I did more weights and more, you know, the kind of workouts you should do. Right. Right. (laughs) I think, which is the story also of my scene is that I just love to be outside and, and I'm not someone who's as disciplined about having a goal and training like Nancy listening to your podcast. That was so fun, but they're so determined about their grades and climbing and how they train. And yeah. I mean, I learned a lot and it's super inspiring. Right. But yeah. um, it's like anything with your mountain biking or your biking. I mean, I just would rather be out on a long ride and that didn't always help, you know, set me up for, for certain goals, but um, that's still where I am today. I still would rather climb outside than be inside in a gym training. Working, I I fully understand what you're saying. We're speaking the same language. Nice. So let so let's go into that uh, that piece that you wrote, and I'll I'll put a link to that in the show notes because I think everybody should read it. But you mentioned in the in the opening line that you used to joke that quote women entering menopause would make badass ice climbers uh, because you're like bring on the hot flashes. I'd finally get a reprieve from bone chilling belays and the screaming barfies. And before we get into the other part, like, please define screaming barfy for the non-climbers. I actually had to like click the link and see the PubMed, like the, <laughs> the study on that. I Not something that we usually talk about in most other athletic circles. Yeah. Although I got to believe in mountain biking or, or, or road biking, especially in Pennsylvania, when you go out on a winter day and your hands freeze or your feet freeze, especially if you have Raynaud's, which a lot of women do, mm, a lot of um, women do, you know, yeah. poor circulation. It's that time when you get back from a ride. Oh my just, God. Okay. You know, now I know what you're talking right, about. And your yes. fingers are frozen and there's no circulation. And then the blood rushes back. Right? When you get into the shower, I call it re-entry. Exactly. It is worth feeling in the world. Yes. It's okay. exactly what it is. Same thing. I know. Oh, I know what that is. Gotcha. Yeah. It's just um, that if you go through it outside, you're not in oh. a warm shower. <laughs> and then if you go through it on a multi-pitch climb, or on the climb itself, which happens. I can't even imagine that. You know, like I just went ice climbing yesterday, but like you have to drop your hands down while you're on the climb and try to figure out a way to shake out and get your blood back. Oh, man. Okay. Wow. That takes it to a next place. I feel sorry for myself when I'm in the shower. But honestly, as soon as I heard about, you know, hot flashes, 
at some point, I don't know, from my sister, or a girlfriend, I was like, yeah, right. Well, maybe that'll be the time when I really get to be a good ice climber because I'll finally <laughs> have warm hands. And how did that work out for you? Because you have like, well, the day in the story that. that that I describe is, you know, how that whole story came to to be. Um, that was literally the first time ever that I'd been with these two friends who are usually really warm blooded, and they were just, you know, start of the season cold and not very motivated. And I literally was like, "Well, let me have it," you know. I'd and where are my- you? So you're in like your highlight canyon. We're in highlight, in, yeah, outside of yeah. Bozeman, which is a kind of a pretty well known sort of ice mixed climbing area. Um, and what's the, the temperature out? It's like 20 and windy. That's cold. Not, That's cold. Yeah. I mean, it's not brutal, but it's your first day from, ha- we were literally rock climbing like two days before. Right. And the first yeah. one's always so hard. Those first cold exactly. days. Yeah. yeah. No, I just threw off my puffy and I was literally, my hands were like really warm, but the problem is, as you know, it's, it's so temporary. And then what happens is you sweat and then all of a sudden you're in trouble because you actually get colder. So you know, you think it's going to be great, but the management of it is, is challenging. And was that the first hot flash you had, or was it the first hot flash you had like actually on the ice? Yeah. First one where it was outside and I was like really noticing it. I was like, this is, this is it. Here we go. You know? And, 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 and as you commented in an email, it's, I, at the time I was like, maybe I'm, maybe I have COVID because this friend partner was, he had just gotten back from China, honest to God. And this was November and, and, la, you know, he's like, yeah, I was tested and I got sick. And, and I thought, oh my God, what if I'm, what if I'm just getting COVID? <laughs> right. Well, I mean, it's a logical uh, next thought. So how, like, cause when I talked to Magda Boulay, that, that became sort of a big part of her story is, you know, cause she runs like Leadville, right. Where you start so cold and then you can get really hot and then it gets cold and you're up to 13,000 feet. Like, what does that look like on the wall when you're trying to thermoregulate, like trying to keep that temperature? Yeah, it's challenging. I mean, my whole life's been spent in the outdoor industry developing product, mainly, you know, trying to make good technical product for climbing and skiing for women and running and endurance sports. Um, So I've learned how to dress, which is really helpful. And I think most, most folks out there layer in a way that it's hard to get the moisture out. Um, So a lot of it is just dressing in a way that I don't have to peel off every layer that the heat and the sweat will actually dissipate and I'll, and I won't stay wet. And that that's kind of a, just a new challenge for me, which I love because that's, that's just sort of my bandwidth is, is the clothing, you know, layering for, for that in general. So, um, but it's what not does easy. What does that look so- like in practical application? Like what, what, what are you actually wearing and doing to, to make that happen? Yeah. So nothing waterproof. <laughs> that would be how I would sum it up. Um, which a, a lot of uh, everyone's pretty trained to, you know, you put your base layer on and a fleece and a Gore-Tex, right. And that's pretty much just like going out in your own personal sauna in my, in my opinion, unless you're in Pennsylvania riding in the pouring rain, uh, <laughs> yes. you know, there's times where it, it's, it's super beneficial, but most of the time in climbing, especially in the Rockies, you, you don't need hard shell. So it's, it's wearing everything that's got some wind resistance, but um, is really, really breathable and open in its, in its knit or woven structure. So um, it's actually not wearing a stack of layers because then they hold the moisture in. It's wearing fewer layers, but, but sort of breathable puffy layers, for example, that you know will keep you warm to start, but will actually let the moisture out. So 
things like things like that and um and that's really critical because you you know on a on a long climb you can't be taking your layers on and off all the time totally totally we need like a perimenopausal clothing line Uh, (laughs) i'm I'm, I'm on it (laughs) all right right on okay excellent so let's let's go into some of the other things the wonderful things that can happen while we go through this transition you know you talked about like one of the other benefits is that you don't have your periods to deal with, right? Which I imagine for what you do is actually a significant benefit. Like, because you you have some awesome stories about like using a wool sock as a pad at 17,000 yeah. feet because you got stuck and you're like, oh, did your periods yeah. get worse at all while you were? Mine, mine did not. So I yeah. think I was pretty lucky that way from what I've heard. But yeah, it, I think it's, it, it's so, it's this whole thing is so ironic. It's, all the things you sort of wish for when you're in your 30s or 40s and you start to learn about it, then you get there and you go, nah, I'd rather have my period again. You know, I'd rather have the complexity of stuffing wool socks down my pants and, you know, 17,000 feet on Mount Logan in Alaska because I, you know, got stuck in a storm without supplies. Then go through the drying up and the hot flashing and the, you know, all of the other things that come with this. Um, but I got off easy for sure. I, I'm, my periods basically just stayed about the same. I had wicked cramps my whole life and that sort of dissipated toward the end. So that was good. And they just stopped, um, about a year ago. So a little over and, and I didn't get the whole other scenario of spotting or heavy, heavy bleeding. The crime scene bleeding that some women talk about. Yeah, no, (laughs) I fortunately did not get that, get that myself. Um, but you did get some of the other interesting symptoms uh, or oh, yeah. The other thing. yeah, things that can happen. The sleep disruption is always, I think everybody goes through that to some point. Um, I really do want to dig into sort of the rage and the fear, because I think that we don't recognize those things as symptoms yeah. of, yeah, a hormonal disruption, right? Like we don't, un- yeah. that can hit you in ways, especially if your periods aren't doing weird things or you're just sort of getting hot flashes. I know like for myself, I did not put the anxiety together with that or all that sudden, like going down something that I'd gone down a million times on my mountain bike and just been like frozen, you know, like that's a very strange disorienting feeling. Can you talk a little bit about your own experience with those? Yeah. You know, you describe it perfectly. It's, it's, (laughs) it's this whole thing of why women go crazy at this point. Right. Because I mean, we're not told what to expect and then it happens and you want to just believe it's an anomaly every time, right? You're just going, well, I just don't feel good today. I didn't eat right. I didn't. And you just want to kind of put it away as something that's just an exception to your, to your, to your normal lifestyle, especially as an athlete. And, um, you know, I'm so crazy in tune with my body, I guess, or just neurotic about being in tune that. I noticed these days where I'd go out to go climbing and everything should have been fine, but I would just like quiver at the base and just like not have the psych, not have the motivation, just be scared. I'd felt like I'd gone back 10 years in my climbing career, you know, to when I was always scared to lead stuff because of fall, you know, fear of falling. And, you know, sure enough, even just a couple days later or something, or maybe it was the next week sometimes or something, but you'd have this rush of hormones, right? Which we can't forecast and, but it happens. And, uh, 
and then I would just be on fire. I was like, I'd have no fear of falling and I would be able to just go for things. Um, and I don't know if you had this in cycling, but I did with all my endurance sports is when I'd have my cycle, I figured out that the first day I used to kind of pray that the first day, the light day, not the real day, like the barely start day. If I had a, you know, like a Nordic marathon race that day or some big race, I would be so on fire because I had all this extra oxygen and blood and, it was crazy. You'd feel I did in my first Ironman on that exact day. And it was really, one, yeah, yeah, it was great. <laughs> and you're just, you're like superhuman, right? Yeah. And I think menopause or perimenopause, especially, I felt like that's what was going on, but in a totally unpredictable way. Right. Like if I could have bottled it and known the timing, I'd, I'd have sent like two grades harder, right? Every time. Cause I would just train up to that point, but you never know. And that's why you feel like you're going crazy. I don't, yeah. Yeah, I know that makes a lot of that makes a lot of sense. Did that now that you're sort of through the other side? Have you are you still feeling that? Does that fear still pot, pipe up, or is it? How does what's it look like now? Yeah, I think um, it's it's definitely become a little more stable. So I think I started Perry in a, like forty seven, forty eight, yeah, and and I had just a lot of fatigue, a lot of tiredness, mm. and you know I'm climbing with a lot of women who are like. 25 to 35 and you know they're on fire all the time they're at their prime and and I think I'm I've got a lot of energy for my age but I still was just that was crushing I was just tired all the time and then in addition like you said you I was just everything would flip my switch you know I was angry or I was either like raging mad or wanting to cry and, <laughs> <laughs> you know you just you, you feel like you're going crazy yeah and uh you know, now I will say after a year of not having my cycle, that thankfully that that stage of all of those emotional upheavals and roller coaster has subsided. Um, unfortunately, what I didn't understand from that first hot flash we described was I thought that would be the worst of it. <sighs> the worst of it is now. Right. I don't know if you feel that, but, uh, you know, if you've talked to a lot of women who once they actually went into menopause, had a year without their cycle the hot flashes get worse. That's when they really kick in. Yeah. I, I have not personally experienced that. A lot of people do. Mine were the, uh, mine were flipped on that script, but uh, I have heard from, you're not alone in that, but like, wait, this is not supposed to be. Um, and that research has shown like that first year after, especially can be pretty rough for someone. Brutal. So hang tight. Yeah. And that's, <laughs> that's the sleep thing too. I mean, the sleep yeah. thing was bad before, but I find it the worst now because the, the hot flashes are what wake me up. And I will literally like, I'll wake up out of sleep and I'll feel this anxiety, like this, almost mm -hmm. like, like this feeling of like, oh, I'm depressed or, oh, I'm like, something's wrong. And, and I know now, like the minute I feel that I'm like, oh, it's coming. And then I get this instant hot flash and then it finally subsides, you know, and, uh, and then you're just left with, okay, now I've got the 2 a.m. death stare until I can, you know, cut my breaths long enough to fall back asleep. So, and that is, I mean, I'm reading all this stuff on brain health right now and dementia and it's, it's, you, you've talked about this, but that whole thing of doctors never studied women when it came to like the long, like 50 year studies of dementia which is insane because we are actually the highest percentage, you know, we get it at a way higher percentage than men. Yep. And a big factor is not sleeping well. Yeah. 
Yeah. And we go through sometimes 10 years of <laughs> just like the hot flashes or the perimenopause where we don't get a consistent night's sleep. Yeah. Um, yeah. And no, I had no, ex- no studies. Yeah. Yeah. And they're just starting to be studies. Finally, Lisa Moscone is doing a oh, lot good. of work in that area, but I had the exact same thing you're talking about that waking up with like feelings of impending doom at like two 30 in the morning, just like freaking out. And then, you know, heart pounding and then like a sprinkler. I'm like, <laughs> like, like I'm just drenched oh, yeah. in sweat and then counting back from 30 over and over. I don't know why I would just pick a number and just count backwards and try to breathe. Yep. And, yeah. Good times. So, yeah. <laughs> So, so I want to, I want to talk about the, a little bit before we leave it, the, the climbing through that, like when you, when you would sort of lose your mojo and you were, you know, you have the, you talk about in the piece, like you just had like flipped out over a burnt muffin, you know, <laughs> like just, yeah. just sort of losing your shit. Um, what does the climbing look through that? Are you pushing yourself to do it? Are you trying to give yourself some, like, what, what are you, how are you navigating your activity during this time? Yeah. Um, well, I'll back up because one of the funny things my sister always said, because she, she's a detective and she was the one who sort of, she analyzes everything and, and had always told me about things that were coming to, to the degree that I was like, I don't want to know anymore. Right, you're holding your ears like, stop talking. <laughs> but she always said, you know, oh yeah, you'll be lucky if you have any friends at the end of, you know, <laughs> at the end of perimenopause because you blow up at the slightest things, you know, and you're with your friends and you're like, oh my God, I'm sorry. Um, but I think for me, climbing has been a real gift. It's gotten me through this last five years um, and, you know, in a healthy way and as healthy as it could be, I guess. And I, I don't know what that would have looked like otherwise, but um, I think part of it is because climbing is a stop and go thing and it's a, it's a communal thing, or at least it mostly is for most of us. Um, and so uh, you know, the lack of sleep, the tiredness. Um, a lot of times you can pick the type of climbs you're going to do or who you're going to be with. And, and I can choose, you know, to sort of um, work that out so that I have enough energy for what I'm doing um, and I'm not exhausted. Or I'll, I'll gear up and just get myself ready for a big climb like El Cap and, and uh, do my best to, you know, try, train and do the right nutrition and stuff and, and get myself through that, right? Um, and then have a lot of days off where you're so exhausted. You don't have a choice, you know, with endurance sports for me, it's harder to, to get the right amount of rest. Um, but with climbing, it's, if you're really pushing yourself, you are just physically trashed. Um, and, and, you know, and, or you're at the crag and you can push yourself on a pitch, but you have, then you have an hour sitting there with your friends while you're belaying them or you're hanging out to recover. And it's, I think also the, the, the strength workouts, which, you know, a lot of women start to do with peri and menopause with weights, it's exactly the same with climbing. Um, in, in coaches that I've talked to, you're still carrying weight around, right? You're still, you're doing a strength workout. And I think hormonally that balances, and I'm no expert, but for me, it's helped to balance those hormones out and, and the emotional roller coaster um, that endurance sports. And I still ran and bike throughout, you know, all this time, but predominantly tried to climb. Um, you know, the hardest part was just sort of that, um, I, you know, when you get those moments where you're just going, I, like you said, on the mountain bike, you, the descent that you've done, or even when, you know, you should be able to do, you're scared to do, you know, it's, 
that scared me being with younger partners. I didn't want to not be able to hold my own because of, because all of a sudden I'd be in that fear stage. Um, and that was always just a fine line of trying to figure it out and, and be gracious with myself. Right. Were there but, days that you just said not today and did definitely. something? Yeah. Yeah. I would say maybe not. I think Nancy talked about this, but you just give your, you cut yourself a little slack and you go, well, today's not the day to send a hard route or today's not the day to go do a really scary ice climb. Um, and so you either pick your partners differently. <laughs> so they help you out or you, or you change the, change the objective and go do a fun, a fun route. That's more moderate. Yeah. And did that, you ever worry hard- that, that there would not be a day after a day like that? You know, did you ever be like, am I done? Did that ever enter your head? Yeah. I think in the moment, I don't know for you, did it on the bike? I mean, for in the moment you go, is this it? Like, is this what it's going to be now? Am I going to just be afraid all the time? And that's terrifying. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the thing we don't talk about, right? Like if I get in, I mean, I wrote this piece because I want my women climbing friends to realize that these are the potential things they'll go through and to be able to identify them and know that you'll get through them. Right. Cause those of us who didn't have that, you would go through it and you'd do just what you said. You'd, you'd be at the top of that hill and be like, okay, is this the rest of my, <laughs> is my this cycle? It? Yeah. Just standing here staring at this thing that yeah. I used to ride. Yeah. No, it's, yeah. Which I mean, a lot of times it's hard to walk down. Like that's the, that's, I'm sure that you're in that situation too. Like a lot of times there's not a good alternative, you know? I mean, once you're sort of out, once you're in a place, like sometimes it's like not that much easier to walk away yeah. yeah right I mean I guess and you can as turn we around know, yeah. I think climbing similar to to mountain biking in that sense on a, on a steep kind of techie descent is that you know if you don't commit if you're not 100% committed you're more likely to get you're hurt. crashing <laughs> yeah. and that's the worst is is yeah. and you don't always have that choice internally but you're left without that choice externally and how do you get through that yeah yeah and 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 sometimes you do crash. I mean, I know there, there were definitely times that I, you know, I would, I crashed that I didn't need, I, if I had just gotten in my head the right way, but one, like you said, there's some things you have to commit. And if you're going to hit your brakes, it's not going to be, not going to go well. It's not going to be pretty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Same with the fall climbing. So, so let's, I want to talk nuts and bolts, but I think I want to save that for, for a little later because we're in this great spot now. And, and there's another, I just love, I, I keep gushing about it, but I love how honest you were with everything because I think that it, that as athletes, especially like it's, there's this temptation to sort of just keep up some semblance of a wall. You know what I mean? Like to keep up some semblance, but like, there's such freedom. People will say, well, you're so brave. I'm like, nah, I'm not that afraid. So that doesn't make me brave. Or they'll be like, Oh, you're so like, thank you for being vulnerable. And I personally think that when you expose yourself, you become stronger and you're not more vulnerable. Like that's how I feel in life. You know, like Mm -hmm. if I open it all up, like, what can you say to me? Like, what can, you know what I mean? Like, what do you got? Bring it. I've already said it all. Like, there's nothing you can say to me. So, you know, there's this, this place where you say menopause has also helped me start to quiet my ego, though I still feel strong on and young on stone ice and trails. A glance at the mirror has me reeling. Who is that older woman staring at me? I confess that I used to enjoy living behind a nice facade, a cute, young, strong female athlete. 
Now I understand that it was a waste of energy. My source of power runs much deeper than my appearance. I've had to let go of my self-image and dig into how to become more compassionate to myself. And I could frame that and put it on a wall. I could paint it on my ceiling. Like, I love that paragraph so much because that like we're, we all go through that. And like, it's hard to talk about that part. It's hard to talk about that part. But yeah. I, I too feel that going in and just sort of like being like, you know, that, that, that younger, cute or whatever served me well but now that i'm shedding her there's somebody else that's coming out who i really like you know and who's really strong but it's it is a process yes it's 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 a challenge i'll, I'll say a couple things um related to climbing specifically i think the challenge is that when you're in a scary situation let's say alpine climbing especially more than rock climbing or maybe big long rock routes you don't want to expose your vulnerability to your partner necessarily because you don't want to scare them too if you're scared, right? right. <laughs> I mean, you got to get yeah. each other through it and you, and you tag team the difficult moments and that's the mm -hmm. beauty of a partnership in the mountains. Mm. Um, and that can be on, on, on a bike as well, you know, on a big trip or something. But you, you want to be strong for your partner. And so, you know, my challenge in writing that and also just in life is, is being able to pick the kinds of partners. And that's why I love climbing with women specifically that I can say, well, today's not my day. I mean, I just, I am scared to death. I don't want to do this. Um, or can you take the lead right now? Cause I just, I'm something's going on. I don't feel right. Um, but that's hard, right? I still, I still feel like we're in this place where you still want to put up that armor and, and not show your vulnerability. Um, but at the same time, like you said, once, once you let go a lot of that in your life in general, you get to look inside and sort of go, okay, really, who, who am I? You know, and I, as athletes, that's the hardest thing. Cause that is, it's our escape. It's our armor. It's our power. Um, I mean, even if you have a really good intellectual job and we've all had, had probably and still have good careers, you know, I still think of myself, I, I'm, you know, my, my piano teacher told my mom when I was young, you know, stop wasting your money. <laughs> you know, she just wants to be outside. It's like, yeah. I'm a physical person. You know, that's where I find my joy. Right. right. And, and uh, um, it's also where I find my strength and my power. And so, and so that's a, that's a real challenge, but, but I look at these women now that I know who are past all this and they're in their sixties mm. and they're just living, you know, really their true selves. And I think, I wish we could all have done that in our thirties and forties, but that's probably just human nature. But I think if, if, if we can help instill in even younger women that you don't have to put up this armor um, and then we can all share in our strengths and, and, and partnerships um, in a better way and, and not worry about this culturally induced stress of like you have to look great and you have to be strong and your body should look a certain way for your sport and you know I just I love at this point being invisible is such a gift because <laughs> I don't care anymore what they think like I have wrinkles and I sometimes still look in the mirror and I'm devastated because I don't feel my age physically or emotionally or anything else but I look my age for the first time in my life and you know climbing with a lot of younger partners, I sometimes worry about that. Like, God, are they going to want to keep climbing with me if I'm you know, looking that much older? 
And I just have to not look in the mirror. Like, you know, two, two mantras are don't look in the mirror and don't wish for things, right? Just make it happen. And, and once you let go of worrying about what, what people are thinking, or even if anyone's catching, catching your eye, right? Um, it's a chance to just go, okay, how do I want to live life? How do I be a better partner and more compassionate and, and, uh, and, and do what I really want to do rather than what I think people, you know, want me to do. Do you feel like you're, you said something interesting there and I just wanted to follow up on it. Like when you are climbing in these, these groups with maybe it's predominantly younger women or whatever, do you, do you feel a different energy from them? Do you feel like they are eyeing you in a different way or do you, do you feel that's coming from yourself? Mostly I'd say it's coming from myself right now. I, I think I'm really lucky to have some really great friends and climbing partners who are younger. I don't feel that they look at me that way. Yeah. Um, fortunately, I think I, I just worry, right. you know, internally. Um, but I think there's a little bit of, I, you know, there's a little bit of that maybe just because when you're younger, you want to be with you, especially with social media now, right? Everybody wants to be surrounded by those they aspire to be like, or are inspired by, um, and I just have to remind myself, just be, be the person you want to be for someone else to be inspired or to just, you know, it's like, who do I want to be? I want to be a really good partner for them. Fun, funny, supportive, and strong when I need to be strong. And I just try to remind myself to come back to that. But it's a challenge as a woman at our age in this culture. And, and I don't want to get into it too much, but it, you know, in terms of, uh, criticizing men or, or the cultural kind of norms that we've, we've had to deal with our whole lives. But it is true as a woman, it's you, you do become invisible <laughs> at a certain level when you, when you get to this point. But I now look at it as, you know, I went from invincible to invisible, but now if I'm invisible, I get to do whatever I want. Right. <laughs> so can stop. For me, I can stop worrying about what people think, which I grew up a lot with as, as the youngest in a big family. Yeah, no, that's, well said. Well, well said. And, and thank you again for putting that out there, because I think the more that we have these conversations and put things out there, the, the better off we all are, for sure. Let's talk protein. As you've heard a million times on this show, women in the menopause transition need more of it. As estrogen declines, it's harder for us to make muscle, and we need to take in more protein to get the job done. If you're training hard, you need even more, a lot more. Two grams per kilogram per day, which for me is about 120 grams. Some days it's a challenge to get through meals alone, so it's nice to have powders on hand when you need them. And if you're looking for one that is low in sugar, high in branch chain amino acids like leucine, which is especially good for muscle protein synthesis or making muscle, and is easy on your belly, our sponsor Prevenex has a good one. Norify Plus. Norify Plus is a vegan protein powder, which I know a lot of our listeners are keen to find, and is also super rich in all of your branch chain amino acids and contains probiotics and digestive enzymes, so it's easy to digest and doesn't cause the gassy feeling that you get with many other protein powders, which is something that I know a lot of women are interested in as well. Norify has more than 130 positive reviews including one from Hit Play Not Pause listener Donna, who gave it five stars saying, 
I just made my second shake with the chocolate vegan protein supplement. It is delicious. I love that it has vitamins and branched chain amino acids. I think this will become my go-to protein powder. Thanks, Donna. So listeners of this show can get 15% off their first time purchase by using the code HITPLAY at checkout. Again, go to Prevenix.com, use the code HITPLAY at checkout for 15% off your first purchase. If you don't like it, the company offers a 100% money back guarantee on all of the products within 30 days, no questions asked. So again, use HITPLAY, all one word, all caps at checkout for 15% off your first time purchase at Prevenex, P-R-E-V-I-N-E-X.com. So nuts and bolts, I am curious, like how physical, like the physical act of climbing and training has changed for you, you know, I mean, or if it has, have you always done strength work? Does your strength work look different now? Like what is nutritionally, like, what does it all look like? Has it, have it, has that evolved? Yes and no. I would okay. say, as I mentioned, I just love to be outside. So right. my weak, weak, my weakness is that I don't really love to train. Uh, the first time I really trained and actually had a coach, um, I was training for the Nordic uh, Olympics and I was like, all right, I have to stop just trying to do this on my own. And so I did strength training in the gym and yada, yada. And, and then when I switched to, you know, really being passionate about climbing, when it grabbed me full on, um, at one point I was working in Seattle and, and going to the rock gym at night. And anyway, I hired this, this woman to give me a training plan for a month. And I, I, I adhered to it as much as I could. <laughs> it definitely helped me to go into a gym and lift weights and do the fingerboard. Um, but honestly, things haven't changed that much for me in my training in that I still just spend the time outside doing the sport if I can. Mm-hmm. So in this case, I just try to try to get out climbing as much as I can. Um, Did you notice said, muscle and strength loss at all? Like I definitely noticed some of that. Like I had to get, I had to make myself go back and lift, you know, like yeah. that was something I had to do. And I noticed yeah. and that. I, I feel with way endurance, better. Yeah, for sure. And I think with endurance sports without question. Um, okay. Yeah, that's fair. I do, that's and fair. I do think with, cause climbing is like strength workouts, right? Right. right. Yeah. But, but I do think to be the, you know, at a certain level with my climbing, I know I do need to go back in and, and lift weights and do more specific, let's say fingerboard or other strength workouts in the gym. Right. And, and it really does help me now. Do I do it as much as uh, I need to know, yeah. but if I'm not getting outside, you know, I just went to visit my mom for two weeks and yeah. I got a kettlebell and a fingerboard and, and then I did a lot more strength workouts and it saved me. You know, it, 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 I felt much better when I got back on the rock two weeks later without feeling like I'd lost everything. So I think it's critical at our age. And I know that, and I feel that I'm fortunate with my work that I can get out a lot of days a week, at least part of the day, or, you know, a few hours and train, mm-hmm. or just, you know, climb. Right. Right. But if I didn't have that, I'd be, I would be in the gym without question. And, and I think all the training that, that friends of mine do who are even a lot younger, is it makes a big difference. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, I have been lucky. I've not lost a lot of muscle mass, which is another bizarre thing because I don't know about you, but I've tested, I've had blood tests run a lot to figure out like, what do I, what can I do? What can I take? Do I need to take anything? And I have literally had my testosterone at zero and yet I'm pretty muscular for my build. Um, hmm. It's really bizarre. And I, it, part of that's, I guess this whole transition, I would ask you, <laughs> I don't know. But it's super strange. It's such a complicated picture for everybody. I don't know. You'd have to, yeah. I'd have to send it to my 
my good friend Carla DiGirolamo who does all the hormone work because <laughs> it, yeah. it is it's a super complicated picture and testosterone is just one piece right so for sure there's all kinds of other players in there right uh, just did a whole show on that but that is very interesting like you if I was still running and biking I would be lifting way more often yeah and yeah not no only, I mean it helps your sport but it makes you it helps all of these hormonal you know, tidal waves that come and go, right? It really it, does. It's really critical and it builds human growth hormone and it helps your serotonin. And I think the beauty for me is climbing actually does that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It is yeah. a strength workout. So it's really, if I were just doing it at a moderate level all the time, it wouldn't do that. It'd be like an endurance thing. No, it, it I, doesn't. Tr trust me. It doesn't. Like I have to get back because I'm much more calmer and happier when I'm lifting, no matter how much riding I'm doing. I can be yeah. riding 15 hours a week, but like yeah. doing some strength work, flicks a switch that nothing else does. And and back to that, like you said, getting through this phase, climbing saved me because it did, it really helped my emotional upheaval stabilize. And mm -hmm. I mean, for me to be able to just go climbing and sometimes I'd be like, oh girl, you got to get it together. And like, you know, <laughs> do more with the rest of your life. I mean, I'm just running away, just going climbing during these last couple of years. <laughs> but honestly, it's literally kept my sanity. And, yeah. and, and fill me with joy and partnerships and community. So I'm like, that's everything. It's what, I mean, why are you living life? <laughs> right. right? Like, yeah. I think that's okay. That's, it sounds kind of <laughs> ideal. Oh, good. <laughs> so what, um, you, you had mentioned, you'd, you'd sort of alluded to a few things in, in the piece of, of other things that you were trying for like whatever symptom management, um, whether it be Chinese herbs or some bioidentical hormones or mindfulness like what have you tried that has worked for you as far as like actual things that you're trying to manage like the upheaval of that of the hormonal yeah. thing yeah uh, i throw the question back at you because nothing i've tried has worked for hot flashes <laughs> and i've tried herbal things i've tried acupuncture i've tried you know all the teas they recommend um did you actually go in hormone therapy at any point so i have only done a tiny bit of bioidentical progesterone cream, which okay. is supposed to help. And I do work with a, a hormonal specialist in, in Wisconsin, a doctor, a woman doctor. Um, but you not tried estrogen? Nope. She won't let me do that for, for whatever reason. My levels are such that, uh, mm. um, so the only one I've tried is that I've, I've literally just started trying it. And so far, no, no luck. So I would say though, for all of the other symptoms, um, and for me in particular, because I am sort of a whirling dervish and that, uh, you know, I have a lot of energy and it's hard for me to slow down. Um, meditation, even 10, 15 minutes in the morning, if I can be consistent, definitely helps. I always get up and do a little yoga routine, um, mm -hmm. which is just downtime in the morning. So I don't jump right into emails. I right. think that's really, really helpful. Yeah. I get a lot of sleep, which I'm fortunate to have the, you know, some, sometimes you can't, if you have a family, you have a family, you have a job, you have your sport. I know that I need, like I get sleep. sleep. Yeah. I get I, my sleep. I need like eight, nine hours, nine hours is kind of standard for me. Hmm. I mean, yeah, no. granted, we wake up for two hours. We're not really <laughs> getting nine hours of sleep. I am thankfully past that. Like I am like, I sleep oh, you're like very lucky. Well, I also started taking, um, I started using CBD. I was writing a book on CBD and I was like, everybody, I'm like rolling my eyes so hard. I'm like, what CBD, blah, blah, blah. And that really helped me sleep. Like, because I think because it was the anxiety piece that was waking me up I and that, that. Yeah. and it's, and it didn't do anything for you. 
No, but there's, there's so many variations on it. I'm, I'm true. assuming you have And now it. I have, it's from, they used to sponsor the show, Hello Blue CBD, or, or I would never have tried them. Um, they have a sleep advantage product that has a little melatonin, CBD, and ashwagandha, and I sleep like a baby. I sleep, like I have an aura ring, and I'm like, the, it's just beautiful levels of all kinds of sleep. <laughs> like, this is amazing. It really does. And it is, beca- and it's because all that stuff is like anti-anxiety. It has nothing to do with the hormone. It's just bringing down that anxiety because as we've talked about on the show so much, like it's harder to manage that because without those hormones tamping it down, your cortisol just wants to keep up and it's hard. You're always feeling that anxiousness that you don't need to be feeling like nothing is attacking you. You don't need to run, but like it's giving you all those single signals. Right. So that, that has been my saving grace for, for sure. But I, 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 yeah. The craziness of it is that our hormones are far, you know, they're, they're linking up and doing all these crazy things that make us feel anxious and, and sort of uh, personalize everything, if you will. And, you know, you're always thinking somebody said something to you that <laughs> you did something wrong. Right. <laughs> and I wake up thinking about all those things in it's, it's crazy. Cause the, that's where the meditation I think really does help. For that. sure. Yeah. trying to detach, trying to, to let go of that stuff and trying to just be kind to yourself, you know, and not, not take things personally. And all of that calming stuff is, is helpful toward getting back to sleep. You're still going to wake up with the hot flash. Every, all this, all the sleep experts I talk to, I, well, pretty much everyone I talk to just really emphasizes the importance of it. And I talked to Rebecca Rush actually recently about it for another story. And she frames it so simply. She's like, it's just training your mind to relax on demand. Like, and when do you do that? Like, it's like, it's like any kind of training you do. She's like, you need, cause for many people, the first time that they want to quiet their mind is when they lay down at night. Right. And the mind's like, I got other ideas. There's a right. lot of things that we have to go over, you know? And, and so if you can like train your mind, like, no, this is the time. And meditation does that. Like as a conscious, even this 10 minutes is this time where you're like, okay, we're going into the parasympathetic state. Right. We're done with that. There's no lines. There's nothing. And we're just going to calm down. And and then it's like anything. I mean, it's like any kind of training you do when then when you want to bring that about at nighttime, even if it's following a hot flash and a night sweat, you can still do it. You can still be like, okay, let's calm down. Let's bring it back down and try to get some sleep. Yeah, and you're less likely to get super excited about it. You know, like you can dramatize right. everything that's like, oh my God, this is terrible. I'm not going to sleep. And you're looking at the clock instead of being like, okay, that happened. <laughs> I'm dry now. Let's try to bring it back down. Right. Yeah. Right. And I think it helps to, you know, if you're really meditating a lot, um, you know, the whole idea of just detachment of, of letting your thoughts pass through. Right. I mean, had I done more of that during perimenopause, it would have helped me probably mitigate some of those emotional swings because I wouldn't get attached to them. I think that's the mm. hard part is, you know, we, d- we don't even see it coming, right? You, you don't even realize it's hormonal at first. So you just think right. everybody's mad at me or I'm not doing the right thing or I'm, you know, and I'll, I'll, you just, you just hate yourself during some of that. I think. Oh boy. And, yep. <laughs> yeah. And once you start to identify, okay, whoa, I'm in perimenopause. If somebody actually clues you in, and then you can step outside yourself, which is what meditation is, right? Where you right. can look back at yourself and be like, that is not me. That's just personification, right? So you take your ego out of it and you let the thoughts pass through. And if I wish so much, I'd learn more or just 
had recognized that meditation was so much more important than toward just the day part of my life, right? Right. Not getting attached to what people are saying or how I'm feeling because it will pass. Like that's an that's excellent the, point. It's like the night sweat thing where you wake up and the anxiety's right there and you go, nope, it'll pass. And once you learn that it's going to pass, it's such a gift because you you go, I'm not, I'm not attaching to this. And you know, could if I'm going to let that train just pass right on by. <laughs> I'm not going to get slammed once again. Yeah. And climbing is beautiful that way because probably like a descent on a mountain bike. Again, I use that analogy because I, I bike, but it's also one of the more committing things in endurance sports more than others that I know of. Um, you're, not, you're not usually running at the edge of a cliff where you have to make a decision about, you know, launching over some gap or something. Um, but climbing, you know, you, you can get injured more easily if you don't focus like descending on a mountain bike. And so I think that's the beauty of climbing for me through that this whole phase has been everything else gets washed away. I can't help but just be 100% focused. Right, right, right. Like you have to be present. You have to Yeah, I get to let go of everything else. And and that is just like this great freedom because I get to stop being so anxious and worrying about it all. I love that. I love that. Yeah. No, it's a meditative practice in itself because Mm -hmm. you have to be in that present moment. Yeah, that's great. So you, you wrap up your piece about talking that you're climbing harder than ever now and sending routes you've only fantasized about. Like, what does that look like? And where do you think that's coming from? Yeah, I think it's a combination of things. As you know, you know, when we're at this stage, you don't have the same level of energy. I mean, just aging, right? You don't, you can't be as strong as you were when you were 30. You need more rest days, you need more recovery. Um, I've learned with climbing, it's so good for me because I have all these down moments just during a day of cragging where, um, you know, what is a day of cragging? So if I go down the Canyon here to Gallatin Canyon and we walk, you know, we walk 45 minutes up to the base of a route, um, you know, we'll warm up on a few routes and then we might pick something that's harder and, and work on that route, whether it's a trout route where you play skier or bolted route. A lot of our routes are mixed in the Canyon, which I really enjoy. And you, you know, you might give it a try, fall on it a bunch and then work on it a few times, pull your rope and then try to, to get it again. But, um, you, you know, you have this, you have more downtime and more recovery time mm-hmm, mm-hmm. with, with climbing when you're, but you're also then able to put yourself out there 150%. Um, and, and so, you know, that, that focus and that, that energy combination, I think is really good for this phase of, of life as a woman, because you do have enough energy as an athlete, especially having been an athlete for a long time where you can push yourself. We just can't push ourselves as much or as continuously as we used to. And I think climbing's, you know, the, the way that it breaks that up makes it really fulfilling because I can push really, really hard, but then I get to back off and have these breaks. I'm not going out for a hundred mile, you know, hundred K Nordic ski or a hundred mile bike ride anymore. And that, that, that takes a lot more, I think at our age to sort of keep going. Not that you can't, you certainly can. There are plenty of great examples with like Rebecca and yourself. How much do you fall off the wall? Just random quote. Like how, how, how often I, do you I, This is my limitation in climbing. Like I don't like to fall. I've never, I don't know if it's some innate thing that I grew up with, but I, even irrational fear of falling uh, is, is 
part of my gig where I would be a much better climber if I learned to fall safe. There's safe falls, you know, where you have gear and everything. Um, so a lot of, a lot of climbers, if they're just sport climbing, like Nancy, they fall all the time. They just fall on, like they said, they fall in safe ways where they're not going to hit the rock when they fall. Um, I don't, I don't fall a lot. So, you know, I do take falls. <laughs> I've taken one really big one off El Cap. That was not a good one. This, this last spring. Um, that was did you hurt awesome. yourself? I did not. Fortunately. Um, very fortunately, but it could have been. How far did you fall? Like 60 feet. Ooh. It was not a good fall. <laughs> was a, <laughs> no, I'm sure. it, it was some poor communication and uh, gear, uh, gear placement, but long story. Um, that's in broad beta, actually, in our stories on our okay. site. But um, yeah, you fall. I mean, you have to be able to fall when you're climbing in a, you know, when ideally when you put in good gear, you have bolts, but plenty of times in the mountains, you're going to still take a fall. You just, you just always want to make sure you're placing good, good gear. Um, but personally, I, that's a side where I don't push as hard as, as I could even in. The and that's, environment. that's a constant for you is what I'm hearing. Like it's, that's something that you've had throughout your whole climbing career. Sure. It's not like you're so, yeah. I mean, cause I am much less willing, like I, my, my risk reward assessment has definitely changed where I'm like, I don't need to be out for 12 weeks if I take this and don't take it right. You know, I mean, it, like I, I make those decisions on the fly yeah. more now than when, you know, 15 years ago, yeah. I want to be like, oh, I'm just going to send it and see what happens. <laughs> you know? Yeah, Good point. I do think yeah. right now I make decisions um, for sure to not get hurt. Like I'll, yeah. I'll go down big mountains slower, down gullies slower. I'll be more careful in situations where it's loose rock. Um, you know, I'll back off something that I might've done before, even though I've always had a fear of falling, there's just being in the mountains where I might've moved faster through certain terrain that I take more time now. Um, yeah, I mean, recovery is awful from an injury. So we all, you know, and it gets more awful. There's only so these. many summers. I don't want to waste them like being laid up. Right. I'm just like, yeah. mm, it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you, you mentioned broad beta and it's been a minute since I've heard the term broad, <laughs> you know, for women, which I love, I was like, that's awesome. Can you tell us a little bit about this, what you started with broad beta? Yeah, we're reclaiming the word broad. Um, I love it. Which is a little bit challenging. I mean, I was a little worried for the younger generations, let's just say, you know, I mean, or. They might not even know it, what it means. Do well, they so even... that's what I'm finding. So there, there's, there's people who just think it means expansive. Right. And then, and then my fear was, you know, w was anyone going to take that as derogatory? And I think it's a, I, I've had this idea for like five years and I've tabled it. And my, my recent really good friend, Leslie and, and climbing partner um, heard my, me tell the story and she goes, we, we have to do this. We have to do this. And she motivated me and it's been such a gift, but um, yeah, I was, I was a little concerned. I think that, that the me too movement and just reclaiming, queer and other terms um i just went you know what broad like broads to me in my whole life have always been strong women right yes broads broads for wilderness they were out there with their pitchforks like protecting <laughs> the environment you know in nevada and it's like yep. i you know my friend helped me coin this and it started out as just a a need for more women's um beta or information about mm -hmm. about climbing and skiing product that um that wasn't out there in, in terms of clothing like our original conversation here 
And so that was what it started as. And, and I was still developing product and working for outdoor companies and I just tabled it. And it grew into this um, idea of sharing women's partnership adventures in the mountains. And, you know, through sharing those stories, we would embolden women to, to embrace wild ideas, wild experiences and the preservation of wildness. And all, all of that is really embracing our true selves, which comes back to what being invisible does for us is that, you know, we don't have to put up this facade of the cute young athlete or the strong, you know, woman in the men's pool. And, um, you know, we can just go, fuck it. I'm going to be myself. I'm going to do whatever I want. And, and this idea broad for broad beta is just, it's just that it's like, I want to create this women's world where we feel comfortable to be vulnerable, to share the of our stories and adventures from, you know, the tragic to the comic um, the successes to the total failures and breakdowns. And I don't feel like, you know, in the old days I would have ma- created a magazine, right? But now we have modern technology. And so, so really what we're doing is we're just sharing these stories and we're, we're creating a, a place for women to come and share their adventure stories. Um, extending out from that, we're doing gear reviews to share information so that you, you can learn like what are the best pants to wear for climbing or, you know, eventually it might be, um, soon we'll be doing skiing and maybe extended into cycling, um, you know, specific to women and, and definitely open to gender fluid for sure. Um, basically those who want to share their stories, you know, we're open to it. Um, but then we're doing like technical tips and, you know, things that you just can't find online. I think especially, especially as a woman, um, and, and specifically to climbing, there's probably a lot more opportunity, but I think in cycling and, and skiing as well. And, um, and then food, of course, because we all love to talk about food and you asked about nutrition and I, I could talk a little bit about that. I've been mostly a vegetarian, but um, uh, that's a really interesting one. I'd probably have more questions for you on. I'm, I'm super into figuring out what the right diet is at this stage <laughs> of life, you know, <laughs> How do we keep our it's energy? a journey? <laughs> how, do get, how do we eat right so we sleep well? Mm-hmm. Um, part of broad beta is doing that too. It's like sharing these stories of, of these journeys we've had with food as women. I mean, when I was younger, I'll admit, like I, I was totally scared to death of gaining weight as an athlete. And I wasn't fully bulimic, but I would not eat for, you know, for a long time, or I would like sometimes binge a little bit and then purge a little bit. Mm-hmm. Not, I never threw up or anything, but I, you know, I'd no, go I was fully run. bulimic for a while. Yeah. 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 And I, and it said for me, I couldn't make myself throw up. So I'd go for a 20 mile <laughs> run. Right. 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 Um, you know, I mean, I think culturally as women, it's just, ah, it's just like, you just don't want this to continue. And I totally. think beta is this chance to create a women's world, to expose ourselves and then empower all of our, you know, Yep. Female friends. And that's why we're here and bring the information to the forefront and be vulnerable and, and share it. And then, and then give everyone the inspiration to go out there and live the way they want to live, you know? And so that, that's really what that's all about. I love it. I love it. Is there anything that you thought that you wanted to share that we haven't talked about? I think community is, is just, is, is everything to me, you know, uh, these partnerships in climbing mean so much to me in my life and confidence that I've gained from them. And, and I would say just, you know, going into perimenopause or menopause, learning from each other, being open to share these things like you're doing, it's so inspiring. And, 
And I would ask that anyone who's interested in broad beta or sharing your stories, I, we would be so welcome. And it's just, um, it's, it's what I hope for all of us, you know, that we can be more open and, and be more compassionate with each other during these times and, um, and mostly probably with ourselves. Um, and any ideas to that effect that women can share with me, uh, I would be so grateful for. And thank you for, Celine, for, for doing this. You, you've been really vulnerable in exposing yourself to having these podcasts and open conversations. And it's, um, it's a gift to all of us. Thank you. Thank, and thank you for being here. And thank you for sharing your own story and guests because it's a, a truly amazing conversation. And uh, I, I love watching what's happening out there. I love like what you're doing and just the energy of the group that we have. Um, it's really making a difference and it's palpable. Like I can feel it. Well, that's our show. Join me next week for a conversation with life and mindset coach, Lisa Hess, where we talk about the identity crisis that can come with menopause and how to navigate through this transition when the ground keeps shifting. It was a wonderful conversation. So come on back for that one. And until then, as always, stay feisty. You've been listening to Hit Play, Not Pause, a feisty menopause podcast for active performance-minded women. I'm your host, Celine Yeager. The show is edited and produced by the strong, talented, and amazing women at Live Feisty Media. Follow us on social media at Feisty Menopause, And please help us spread the word. Screenshot and share this episode on your social media channels with the tag at Feisty Menopause. Share the show with your friends. And please subscribe, like, review, and rate this show wherever you get your podcasts. Word of mouth and good reviews make it easier for other listeners to find. Thanks for listening. And as always, stay feisty. Feisty.